this morning our passage comes from 2 Samuel chapter 22. And this morning, we're going to be wrapping up our series in the life of David. If you're visiting with us today, we've spent the whole summer starting back in May in First and Second Samuel looking at the life of David. If you have been with us over that time, then we're sort of coming to the end of that journey this morning. So we're going to be looking at this, this uh, chapter from Second Samuel, Second uh, Samuel 22. It's also interesting to note that Second Samuel 22, if you read Psalm 18... They're the exact same passage, minus, I think, one verse in Psalm 18. It's this song or poem that David wrote uh, that makes it into both of those books. It's that important. The the Bible, uh, biblical editors wanted to put all of that together in two different places to be emphasized in that way. So let's pray before we read this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of another day. And for the chance to, to come together as your people, to gather together in fellowship, in worship, Uh, to hear your word read and preached. And we ask, Lord, this morning uh, that you would bless this reading of your holy word. And Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts and to our lives so that we may not leave here unchanged today, Uh, that we might hear your word of truth and grace this morning. Uh, Speak to us once again as you always do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Hear with me the word of the Lord. David sang to the Lord the words of this song. When the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent people you save me. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky... Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast from his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. 
The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. But to the devious you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord, and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield, and your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of the peoples. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. And exalted be my God, the rock, my Savior. For he is the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man, you rescued me. And therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations, and I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know it's a long passage. We're not going to go verse by verse through all of this, um, but we are wrapping up today this series. And so we wanted to, to just review very quickly, not the whole life of David like we've done before, but as we've gone through First and Second Samuel, we started with the boy Samuel, right? And at that time, the word of the Lord was rare in Israel, is what it says at the beginning of these books. And we meet this young prophet uh, who God uses to bring his word back to Israel, And we met Saul, the first king of Israel, who serves as David's great foil. And we first see David as the shepherd boy when God chooses him to replace Saul as king of Israel. And God tells Samuel the words that undergird the whole David story that we have used as our theme for this whole sermon series. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. I'd encourage you to commit that to memory if you haven't done so already. We want to hear it again. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In other words, God's ways are not our ways. God does not judge people the way that we do. God isn't always working in the way that seems obvious to us or the way that we assume. 
And over the course of this summer, we've watched David rise and fall and then be restored. And now we have come near to the end of his life. And we come to this song. I called it David's last song, but this song that he writes near the end of his life. And as we close our time with David for now, and I say for now because I hope that you will return to the David story again and again throughout your life, I hope what you see here in First and Second Samuel is an example of what it looks like to live as a human being in relationship with God. In David, we have someone who was involved with God, and very, God was very much involved with him and in his life. And we said this last week, this is the gift of the David story, or one of the gifts of the David story, is that David isn't some larger-than-life superhero with some sort of special powers who sets an example that no one, no mere mortal can attain to. But David was very much a human being, flawed and sinful and broken, and yet we witness through him what it looks like to walk through life involved with God. Outside of his office, outside of being king, David is a very relatable to us in many ways. We see the temptations that he had, uh, the ways that he fell, the ways that he, he celebrated his victories. And David had what Eugene Peterson dubs an earthy spirituality, an earthy spirituality. And what he means by that is that David's relationship with the Lord was one that was experienced through all of the highs and lows of life. And most of it through the ordinary and mundane days and moments and tasks that make up so much of each one of our lives. For many people, the purpose of religion or of spirituality is for it to, to lift us up out of all of that in some way. That we might sort of escape uh, the, the mundane and ordinary pieces of our lives and that we might find meaning and purpose beyond our day-to-day living. It's about those transcendent moments of our lives. That's what religion is about, that we want to keep uh, experiencing those things. And if we're not careful, we'll spend our whole lives chasing spiritual experiences like that, those spiritual highs, those mountaintop moments, because that's where we sense that real meaning comes from, or that's where we really have communion with God. But this isn't what we see with David. David's life with God was formed during long, monotonous days out tending his father's sheep. Days that were very much the same over and over and over again. David's faith was formed during ordinary, mundane life. This is where David first learned how to pray. This is where he learned important lessons about God's providence and sovereignty, that God was the one who was preserving his life, who was providing for all of his needs, that God was the one who saved him from trouble when he needed it. And David learned the importance of tending to his relationship with the Lord in the midst of his ordinary life, whether he was a shepherd or whether he was a fugitive in the wilderness or whether he was the king. David's life isn't marked by huge, miraculous events. When you read through First and Second Samuel, you don't see these big moments like we see with other Old Testament characters. With Moses, God parts the Red Sea, or there's the, the plagues on Egypt. Or we might see Elijah at the top of Mount Carmel and the events that happen there. David doesn't have a lot of these miraculous events like that. They aren't what mark his life. Instead, what marks David's life is his embrace of God's presence and involvement in his life all of the time. And what we might learn from David is to live the same way. 
with God as an ever-present reality for us. God isn't just someone that we meet when we come here on Sunday mornings uh, for worship or when we go to small groups or when we go to retreats. Those aren't the only places that we can experience God, these small, short moments in our lives. What we see from David is that the line dividing what is sacred and what is secular in our lives is more about our perception of things than with any sort of reality. That God makes the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives holy and sacred by his presence with us. It reminds me of a book that I read uh, during my youth ministry training days 20 years ago called The Practice of the Presence of God. I don't know if anybody's ever read that book or experienced it before, uh, heard of it before. The author of this book was a man named Brother Lawrence, and he was a a monk who lived in a monastery uh, in the 17th century in Paris. And his daily job was to work in the kitchen, doing all that that entailed, of of washing dishes, of preparing food to feed all of the other uh, brothers that were in his monastery. It was what many of us might consider to be one of the more menial tasks that they had there. Um, I know sometimes parents maybe feel like that's what you're doing all the time, is spending your time in the kitchen, either preparing meals or cleaning up. And it doesn't always feel like a holy endeavor uh, when we're doing those things, right? And this is what his life was, day in, day out. This was his job. But what Brother Lawrence determined that he was going to do was to tend to his relationship with the Lord while doing his daily work. As ordinary and mundane and menial as the work seemed, this is what he spent most of his time doing, was working in the kitchen, And to not spend that time with the Lord would be for him to miss out on an important opportunity in his life. So he started to make himself aware of God's presence with him throughout his days, praying throughout his days, praising God throughout his days, bringing himself and others before the Lord in prayer throughout his time working in the kitchen. He began to practice God's presence. And this had a profound impact on his life and ministry and that life, and that spilled out into the life of his community as well. So much so that now, 400 years later, people are still reading this book that he wrote. And there are more contemporary efforts uh, to pursue the same idea, encouraging people to an awareness of God's presence at all times. The songwriter and poet Andrew Peterson, some of you may have heard of him, has written a book called Every Moment Holy. And the writer uh, Tish Harrison Warren has a book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. And while all may be a little bit uh, from a different angle, the idea is the same as what we witness with David's life. This earthy spirituality that sees the holiness of everyday life and God's presence with us in the ordinary and mundane. Through our chores, through our work, through our studies at school, through morning routines and commutes, through changing diapers and exercise regimens, God is not absent from any of those things. And they all provide us with opportunities to practice his presence. They all provide us with opportunities for prayer and praise. And this is one of the important lessons that we can learn from David as we reflect on his life. Our passage today uh, from 2 Samuel 22 is a good example of this because here we are at the end of David's life and David offers up this prayer that we just read, this psalm that we read earlier. And what David does in this psalm is he looks back over his life, the course of his long life at this point, and he offers it back up to God as a prayer. 
In these verses, David is offering his own life back to God in thanksgiving and praise. It's a prayer uh, that, that uh, offers God thanksgiving for all of his provision, for all of his preservation, for all of the ways that he has seen God's sovereignty work throughout his life. What a wonderful thing to do, to go back through your life and to recount has, how God has been faithful to you throughout the course of your life. God, here I see where you protected me, maybe in ways that I didn't even realize. Or here I see you delivered me from something that I didn't know, even know I was in danger of. Here I see that you have shown how you love me and delight in me. Here's ways that I thought I was going in the wrong direction, but God, now I see your hand of providence in pointing me in the way that you wanted me to go. This is a good thing for us to do, to look back over our lives in this way and to consider God's faithfulness and to give thanks to him for it. There are several things in this prayer that we read that, uh, that it reveals to us that I think are worth commenting on. And first, we see that for all of the significant relationships in David's life, all of the people that we've covered, and all of the ups and downs that he experienced, the one thing that endured for him is his relationship with God. This is still what David treasures the most, even here at the end of his life. When we first met David, he talks about how God rescued him from the lion and from the bear while he was tending the sheep. And now as an adult, David is talking about how God rescued him from all of his enemies throughout his life. We see this reflected in verses 2 through 4, the very beginning of the psalm. He says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent people, you save me. What we see here reflected in these verses is is what Eugene Peterson describes as the single most characteristic thing about David is his relationship to God. David believes in God. He thinks about God. He imagines God. He addresses God, and he prays to God. He also forgets God. He disobeys God. He sins against God. He ignores God. But God is the reality that accounts for and defines all that David does and says. The largest part of David's existence is not David, but it is God. This is what makes David a man after God's own heart. David didn't follow all of the rules. He broke them over and over again. And if you even read the last little part of 2 Samuel, the the next part of 1 Kings, you see that David's still doing things that he probably shouldn't be doing, things that he isn't necessarily being faithful about. But David didn't put his trust in his own faithfulness to God. He put his trust in God's faithfulness to him. This is God's world, and David knew it was God who had given him this part to play. God had made a covenant with David, and David knew that God is faithful to his promises. David's words in this psalm and in countless others that he wrote assure us that there is no question in his mind that God loves him, that God protects him, and that God is for him. This psalm shows us in other ways that David realizes his life isn't ultimately about himself. He uses imagery from uh, the Exodus in talking about his life a little bit. He says, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy in great bolts of lightning. He routed them. 
The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of his breath from his nostrils. These words echo scenes from God parting the Red Sea to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians, as well as from God speaking to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. There are also images in this psalm of clouds and of fire, the way that God led his people through the wilderness in the Exodus. And what David is seeking to do by including these these phrases and these images is to set his life within the greater redemptive story. The story of God's covenant with Abraham and his relationship with Israel. A story that, that started well before David was ever born. A story that continued long after David died. A story that reaches its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, David's heir. And a story of which we too are a part, even now today. Even as Israel's greatest king in this psalm, David is reflecting on his, as he's reflecting on his life, he seeks to point those reading it back to God himself. God is the one who has been acting all along. God has given David his victories. God has preserved his life. In many ways, this psalm downplays the role of king in Israel. And in this, our psalm has something to say about God's relationship with kings and rulers and those in power. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann points out that this psalm emphasizes that it is God and only God who is sovereign in Israel and among the nations and in all creation. Kings may come and go. They may succeed and cry out. They may obey and disobey. After all of that, all that kings do and do not do, however, God is still sovereign and must be praised. As God's people, it's good for us to be reminded of this truth before we put too much of our support and trust behind any political leader or party or any spiritual leader or church leader or denomination. It is God alone who commands and deserves our praise and our worship. And it's for us to put our trust and our faith in him alone as well. God is the main character of the David story, of David's life. And David lives in response to God's gracious actions towards him. We see in David's life that he had to learn how to live faithfully uh, in an Iron Age tribal culture, which was dominated by violence and sex. And he was not immune to these influences. Even as we read through this psalm, we hear about the violence that was so much a part of David's life. But neither did those things define him completely and who he was. And I say this because each of us now has to learn how to live faithfully in a postmodern, capitalist, materialist era, individualistic culture, but I think that is no less dominated by violence and by sex. And none of us is immune to these influences. We're just not. But neither do they define us as well. And so friends, let us pray. Let us pray that God would be the main character of our own lives as well, that we might have a certain humility and self-forgetfulness, that we may see that our lives are just a part of what God is doing in this world and throughout history. Our lives are ultimately not about us, but about God, and the sooner we come to terms with that idea, the better off we will be. This is part of why it's so important for us to come together in worship regularly on Sunday mornings, to be reminded again and again that God is the ultimate reality of our existence. And we too live our lives, ideally, in response to God's gracious actions towards us. That is what our call is as God's people. 
As Christians, when we talk about God's gracious actions towards us, ultimately what we are talking about is the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. He is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with David, that God would establish an eternal kingdom through one of David's descendants. But more than that, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the covenants that God made with his people over the years. All of God's promises about forgiveness and salvation and eternal life for Israel and for the world are all summed up in Jesus Christ. And Jesus affirms for us the holiness of our everyday lives and God's presence with us in the midst of them. Because God didn't just take us up into heaven to rescue us from the grind of our daily lives, but in Christ, God came down to us. He entered into our ordinary, mundane, daily lives. He lived one himself. And he walked through it alongside other human beings, doing all of the ordinary, mundane tasks that fill our lives too even dying the death that we all must die so that we could have the life that only he should have. This is God's gracious action towards us that we are to live our lives in response to. So friends, may we believe in Christ. May we think about Christ. May we imagine Christ. May we speak to Christ and trust in Christ. May we not ignore Christ. And may our lives be lived to him alone. May Christ be our rock and our fortress and our deliverer in whom we take refuge, our Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we we thank you. We thank you for your servant, David. Um, Lord, we thank you for all that, uh, that we learn from him, but more importantly, what we learn through your relationship with him. Your call on his life, the way that you interacted with him, the way that you called him and led him and preserved him. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be as aware of your presence in our lives as David was. Lord, may we walk through this life in prayer and praise and thanksgiving to you. May we practice your presence wherever you may take us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.